We know that the, the, the love of God is something we can never earn. It's freely poured out on us. We're washed by grace, uh, by, by Jesus. He washes us. So that's, that's what it means. So we, how do we make disciples? Well, we gotta be a baptizing church. We also gotta be a teaching church. And that teaching piece is what we're gonna focus on, uh, today in this time. Jesus said, teaching them, the nations, that is, every people group, every cultural group, teaching them to observe or to obey or to keep everything that I have commanded you. All that I have commanded you. You being the eleven disciples. So, teaching... Teaching Jesus, teaching his commands, teaching his law, if you will, and teaching how to actually obey him, teaching obedience to him. It's one of the tools that God has given us for disciple making. It's one of the, it's like a, it's one of the vital signs that a church is healthy. If a church is a, not just a teaching church, but a teaching obedience to Jesus church. It's also when we teach Jesus' commands, when we teach his word, that's one of the places there in the teaching where he can be found. Just like baptism is a tool for disciple making, it's one of the vital signs of the church, is the church a baptizing church. And it's one of the places that Jesus can be found. So is teaching. Teaching obedience. Teaching obedience to all that Jesus has commanded. These are three wonderful reasons for us to dedicate ourselves, Hope Presbyterian, to being a teaching church. Being a church that teaches obedience to Jesus' commands. All of them. Even though we have these three wonderful reasons... That it's a God-given tool for completing our mission. That it's it shows that we're alive. And that it's a place that Jesus can be found working today. i got to confess that I myself, when it comes time to talk about what we're doing as a church, especially with my friends that don't go to church, uh, and when it comes time to... Um, Give a, give a real quick and clear message of what it is that we are about. Very often, teaching obedience is pretty far on, down on the list of things that I want to talk about. Uh, obedience is, that's kind of a strong word. <laughs> and when I talk about church, when I talk about Jesus, I talk about what I believe Jesus is doing in the world through the church. I gotta be honest and say that obedience is not one of the things that usually comes quickly to my mind. Nor is it one of the things that I want my friends that are wondering, what in the world are they doing in there on Sundays? I'd much rather talk about grace. I'd much rather talk about liberation, renewal. Then I want to talk about obedience. However, I'm convinced 
through studying this passage and thinking about the teachings of Jesus and placing that in the context of the greater story of the whole Bible, I'm convinced that if we shy away from not just doing it, but committing ourselves to in our in our DNA to be a obedience to Jesus teaching church as something that's a high priority, mission critical. If we shy away from that, I'm convinced that we leave grace on the table. Let me show you what I mean. We have these great reasons to be an obedience to Jesus teaching church. It's a tool for discipleship. It's a place Jesus can be found. shows that we have life. I don't want to give you three more reasons that it's important for us to be a Jesus' law, Jesus' commands teaching, obedience to Jesus' commands teaching church. So three more reasons that that should be such a high priority for us. Um, so, number one. If you're a sermon note taker, these are your three things. Three more reasons to be a obedience to Jesus' commands teaching church. Number one. Teaching obedience to Jesus subverts our tendencies to slip into self-righteousness. Teaching obedience to Jesus subverts our tendency to slip into self-righteousness. Now, uh, I know that many of us have been following the news about uh, the war in Ukraine. Heartbreaking. We have this, this, these people who are just being dominated and all this destruction. And their military is doing what they can fighting back. But we've watched in the news as civilians even have taken steps to defend their homes against occupying forces. And maybe you've also seen in the news that uh, uh, computer savvy, we can call them hackers, uh, from all over the world are coming together to try to hack into Russian systems to subvert uh, this occupation. Now, what we're watching from a distance is a people not just defending themselves, but giving all of themselves to defense to defend their homes and their families and their places against a brutal occupation. And much of that resistance is subversive. Now, when all of us here and every single human being, Christians and non-Christians, just by nature of how we're born into this broken world and how sin bends and twists us so deep down inside. Every single one of us lives every day under the brutal attack of our own tendency 
to be self-righteous. Sin is not obeying God's commands, disobeying them or ignoring them or half-heartedly obeying them. But the sin of self-righteousness lies at the, at the root of so many other kinds of sin. When we get down to why it is we disobey God and ignore God and push off and declare independence from Him, so much of that is because deep down in our own hearts we think that we don't need Him. You know, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they reached out and they took a hold of that fruit, the first human sin, which threw us into the downward spiral of despair and destruction. Why did they do it? Because they wanted to be like God. Self-righteousness is a monster that attacks every single one of us. And we need to not only resist it directly, we need to resist it subversively and strategically. Now, when we teach Jesus' commands... And when we teach obedience to Jesus' commands, we are subverting the attack of self-righteous tendencies. If you think about Jesus' ministry, three years uh, in, in Galilee, in Samaria, in Judea, as a Jewish rabbi. You know, those three years we read about in the Gospels. The, the one people group that he's always getting onto, butting heads with, calling out. Who was it? Come on, it's okay. The Pharisees. We've talked a lot about the Pharisees. The Pharisees were upstanding religious people. But they had this idea that they were the ones that had figured out how to do it right. That they were the ones who were keeping God's law near perfectly. And if they could do it continue to to do it right for long enough, then God would see from heaven and he would, because of their goodness, because of the Pharisees' faithfulness, he would deliver all the people of Israel from their Roman occupation. The Pharisees thought that if they followed, since they followed God's law perfectly, that God would look down and he would have to save the world. And Jesus was always getting onto these guys. Not just for their self-centered ideas that they were sort of going to be the ones to save the world, but and not just for their delusion that uh, that their goodness is going to be the thing that gets God's attention as if he wasn't paying attention already. But mostly because of their thought and their attitude that they were actually doing it right. He said, you guys are like whitewashed tombs. You're clean on the outside, but your hearts are decrepit. You're like a dirty cup that somebody only washes the outside. You outwardly keep God's law, but look at your heart. Now, when we teach... Obedience to Jesus' commands. We fight back against that Pharisee 
tendency. Because here's the secret. One of the things we've talked about quite a bit um, here. The Pharisees, we just take them as like a, like a, like a, like a character type. The Pharisee type of person is the person who stands against what God is doing. Well, we see that in the Bible. The secret is the Pharisee type lives in every single one of us. All of us. When we think we're doing really good, think that, oh, God's going to see. And of course he's going to. He's going to bless me. He's going to bless my family. Of course, he's going to bless our church because we're doing it right. Oh, man. We need Jesus' commands. We need his law. Uh, the, the law of God's law, it, today, it really it has three major things that it does for us. First, it acts like a mirror. When we read the Ten Commandments... Or when we read the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' exposition on the Ten Commandments. We read these things, we see ourselves as we are. Broken sinners. We read Ten Commandments. Maybe, maybe, especially when we, when we take Jesus' commands and, and we, that's the lens through which we understand it. Let me give you an example. One of the commandments is thou shalt not commit adultery. Hope that you have the ten. Now, I, I could read that and I, and I could think, no, you know, whew, you know, I, I've been married for quite some time. I'm, I've been faithful to my wife. I'm, I am, man, I am knocking that one out of the park, doing it right. And Jesus comes along. He's giving his great sermon on uh, expounding on the Ten Commandments, and he says, "You've heard it said, uh, thou shalt not commit adultery.'" Uh, that's the way I learned it, as if Jesus actually quoted from the King James Bible. Probably not, but I'm, that's the way I learned it. He said, you've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. Now, when I, Pastor Charlie, I read this, I, I, I can say, oh, I, I, I'm doing great not committing adultery. But then Jesus, his command, his understanding of God's commands, which is the correct interpretation. I look at that and I see, oh, Charlie, you are, you are a sinful man. I am a sinful man. Or maybe another one. Jesus, it says the Ten Commandments, you shall not, thou shalt not murder. I never killed anybody. I'm doing it right. Oh, here comes Jesus. He says, you've heard it said, thou shalt not murder. But I say to you, if you look at your brother and you call him an idiot, you're guilty of murder. So we hold up God's law. It's a mirror. It shows us who we are as we are sinful people. It also acts as a guardrail. Sort of like, you know, put railing. You know, if you go to the Grand Canyon, there's railing before the drop-off. Well, when we read Jesus' commands, I can see that as anger rises up in me against a brother or a sister... I might think that I'm really far away from committing murder. But if I have Jesus' command in my mind, that right at that point where I want to say something to tear that person down, there's the line, Charlie. Back up. It's a guardrail. It's also a, a guide. So it's like a mirror. It's a guardrail. It's also a guide. I can look at Jesus' command. 
which is God's command. And I, and I could see that, oh, I'm supposed to live in a direction that looks like marital faithfulness, that looks like love for my brothers and sisters. This is how I should live toward righteousness. What does righteousness look like? It looks like compassion and patience and purity and faithfulness. So when we teach Jesus's law and we teach obedience to Jesus's law, we are subverting our own tendency to think that we're doing it right. Because when we think that we're doing it right, that's self-righteousness. And self-righteousness is the enemy of the gospel. Okay, that's reason number one. Why should we be a teaching Jesus' commands how to obey them, church? Well, it subverts our tendency to uh, slip into self-righteousness. Here's the second one. Teaching obedience to Jesus' commands subverts our tendency to cut out the parts of the Bible we don't like. So you maybe see a pattern here. It's, it's subversive towards our self-righteousness. And then it subverts our tendency to cut out the parts of the Bible we don't like. Now, um, cutting out parts of the Bible we don't like. Jesus said, uh, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. All. All commands. Now, let's just think about that for a moment. Um, the Old Testament. Whew, man, the Old Testament, that's some hard... First of all, it's kind of hard to read. Second of all, I, I learned somewhere along the way that the New Testament was for Christians and the Old Testament's for the Jews. Uh, and, you know, there's there's like weird stuff in there I don't understand because it's not my culture. Um, God seems really angry sometimes. And uh, did I mention it's hard to read? Oh, you know, these, these are reasons that we, we tend to shy away from the Old Testament. Some of us and maybe even have been taught in church that that's not for us. Uh, we tend to gravitate toward the New Testament as sort of our thing. However, we teach obedience to Jesus, Jesus' commands. We've we got to remember that Jesus said um, in his Sermon on the Mount, his exposition on God's law, he said, don't think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. Uh, A.K.A., don't think I have come to abolish the Old Testament. I'm not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, that's a little little Greek eye, not a dot, uh, like, like, like in Hebrew there's no pronunciation markings. That would be like saying not, a, not the dot of an I or a cross of a T would pass away from the law until all is accomplished. So if we're going to be Jesus-obeying people and teaching obedience to Jesus' people, we can't unhitch as one popular preacher said a number of years ago on a viral YouTube video, we can't unhitch the Old Testament. Okay, there's that. Can't cut that out. Second thing is, Jesus, um, you know, we want to be obedient to his commands, but that doesn't just mean the words in red in your old King James Bible. It doesn't just mean his words. Uh, that Well, let's just follow Jesus' own teaching. Jesus, Jesus told his... Um, 
disciples, specifically the, 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 to the twelve, he said, the advocate, this is in John 14, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, that the Father sends in my name, he will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I've said to you. So when we pick up and we read Matthew, one of the twelve, or Mark, the student of Peter, telling Peter's story in the book of Mark, Peter, one of the twelve, uh, Luke, who is working with Paul, one of the apostles, and who is interviewing all the people that were eyewitnesses. John, one of the twelve. We, when we read these Gospels, we're reading words that, that Jesus the, the, and the Father sent the Holy Spirit in order to make sure that these guys wrote the stories down right. So thus far we have the Old Testament and we have the Gospels. If we're going to teach obedience to Jesus, we're going to teach obedience to these two. Well, what about that, that stinky Paul? Paul seems to be the guy that writes all that stuff in the New Testament that I don't like. Even the Apostle Peter in one of his letters said that Paul's hard to understand. Isn't it more important that we read Jesus than it is Paul? Can't we take some of the hard things that Paul said about things like homosexuality, or gender? Can't we just sort of... Hmm, no way. Because if we're going to be obedient to Jesus, people, then Jesus said to his disciples, as the Father... And we do this as our benediction. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. So that means that not just the Old Testament, not just the Gospels, but the rest of the New Testament is the Word of Christ. So when we teach obedience to Jesus, we are literally uh, subverting, disabling, disorganizing, disempowering our own tendency to want to manipulate the scriptures to make them say what we want them to say by ignoring the hard parts. Now, when we cut out the parts of the Bible we don't like, you know what parts we keep? This is like a universal rule. We keep the parts that make us feel good about ourselves. We do. And when we begin to manipulate the scriptures... We begin to feed our self-righteousness. So this, these things work together. Self-righteousness is a killer. The tendency towards self-righteousness is an invader on your life. Your tendency to self be self-righteous will destroy you. And the best way to feed that tendency is to start Cutting out the parts of the word of Christ that make you uncomfortable. So, we teach obedience to Jesus' commands as a way to push back, to say that's enough. Okay, there's two reasons. It subverts our tendency to slip towards self-righteousness. It subverts our tendency to cut out the parts of the Bible that we don't like. Last Teaching obedience to Jesus subverts our tendency to put hierarchy where it doesn't belong. Teaching obedience 
to Jesus and his commands subverts our tendency to put hierarchy where it doesn't belong. Now, those of us who uh, give in to slip into self-righteousness, the we're do, I'm doing it right syndrome, and we got there because we started ignoring the parts of the Bible that remind us that we're doing it wrong. <laughs> uh, we inevitably, as a result, self-righteous, under uh, Bible-read people, uh, which we do that, we love to put hierarchy where it doesn't belong. Now, Charlie, what are you talking about? What do you mean putting hierarchy where it doesn't belong? Okay, well, in the Bible, there are some places where God has instituted hierarchical social structures for our good. Classic example, maybe the best one, is in the Ten Commandments. It's children obey your parents. You ever heard of that? So parents have hierarchical authority given by God over their children. Uh, kids, when your mom or dad say, want you to do something? Uh, if you say, what right do you have to tell me what to do? They can say, uh, God gave me that right. <laughs> kids, we know that, right? I'm not going to hold that over you because I know we all know it. But so there are some Romans in Romans 13. Uh, it says that we're supposed to pay our taxes and that God has given the government the power of the sword to restrain and hold back evil. That means we submit, there's some hierarchy there. We submit to our governmental leaders. God has put in, placed hierarchy in some places. Uh, the, the elders of the church are, are called to be, what the Bible calls them, overseers. Now, I'm going to swing back to those things. But right now I want to focus on the fact that we have tendencies to, to try to mimic these structures and put them in places where the Bible doesn't put them. Here's a classic example, especially in our tradition. We have a tendency to go, hmm, uh, how about uh, men have hierarchy over women? We take scriptures that refer to the relationship between husbands and wives, and we twist them just a little bit to give men a place of prominence in the church and women a lower place. And there was a time when that agreed with our culture, which made it really hard to call out. Now it doesn't agree with our culture, makes it easy to see. But we have a tendency to slip into putting hierarchy where it doesn't belong. One thing we talked a lot about is in the history, especially of our tradition, there was a long tendency of believing that God had given and God had gifted the white male with the special burden of overseeing the rest of the world. And part of how we carried that out, and by we I'm speaking as Charlie standing right up here as part of this tradition, Part of how our church family historically carried that out is by enslaving people of color. We've learned about this. But folks, Jesus is the one with all authority. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, he said. Jesus is the only one. God. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
God is the only one who has the right to set some human beings in places of authority over other human beings. And when we start creating hierarchical structures where the Bible doesn't put them, we start getting into trouble. We start hurting people. We start dehumanizing people. We deprive the church of God-given gifts. When we think that women have a second-class seat, we, we don't get to enjoy the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given them. We cut out half of our congregation. And we start to displace Jesus as the one that has authority and who gives it out when we start claiming it for ourselves. Listen to these words. Teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. You get it? Who gets the teaching? Everyone. There's not some Christians that get special knowledge and some that don't because they don't rank as high on the list. Whose teaching do we submit to? Jesus is. Now, in the old rabbinical school, the old rabbinical system that Jesus was operating in, calling disciples, walking around Galilee and Samaria and Judea, teaching them, the way that discipleship worked in Jesus' day went like this. A rabbi would come out and call disciples to himself. And then he would uh, interpret God's law the way that made sense to him. And then he would teach that interpretation to the people. We see this in Jesus. Jesus called a group of disciples to himself. And then in the Sermon on the Mount, he takes God's law, the Ten Commandments, and he expounds them. He gives his teaching of those Ten Commandments to his disciples as the masses listened in. Right? Well, that's what rabbis would do. And then, once a disciple learned and mastered the rabbi's teaching, do you know what they did after that? They sort of graduated. And then the elite students of the rabbi would go on to become rabbis themselves. And then they would call disciples. And then they would teach their version of God's law, which was probably similar to the one they learned from their rabbi, but they put their own spin on it. And so through, in the first century, throughout uh, the Jewish world, you had uh, generations of rabbinical teaching. That's how discipleship worked in Jesus' day. But do you know what? Right here in this statement, teaching them, not just the special elite students, teaching everyone to obey all that I have commanded you. Jesus is putting a stop to that hierarchical system of discipleship. Let me put this a different way. Folks, I stand up here every single week, and for somewhere between 30 and 43 minutes, I expound The goal is not for you to listen to and obey Pastor Charlie. No. The goal is for Pastor Charlie to act like a mouthpiece, an amplifier for Jesus' teaching. And you don't obey me. You obey him. 
So when we do discipleship together, the way that overseers in the church are called to have authority, it's not a domineering top-down authority. None of us have graduated from Jesus' school. I'm a disciple just like you. So is Christopher. So is Scott. We're also sinners. So what discipleship looks like in Jesus' system, the way he tweaked that old system, is not I listen to Jesus and then you listen to me. No, 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 no. It's me coming to you as a broken man who has been charged by God to serve you and come to you and say, come with me, brother or sister. Let's go to the master together. Do you see the difference? And folks, that's how discipleship should work in our church. That's how it should work in our households. And that's how it should work in our society. But we love to place hierarchy where it doesn't belong. But when we teach obedience to Jesus' commands, we subvert that. Okay, so we subvert our tendency to slip into self-righteousness. We subvert our tendency to cut out the parts of the Bible that we don't like. And we subvert our tendency to put hierarchy where it doesn't belong and displace Jesus the Master. These are three reasons why we in this church want to give ourselves to teaching obedience to the law of Christ. Now, let's end by going back to what we started with. When I talk about what we're doing here as a church. And we talk about what our mission is. It can be really Why did Jesus put obedience, teaching obedience in the Great Commission? Why not put teach grace? Why not put teach liberation? When I tell people, tell me about what Hope Prez is about. The thing in me that thinks, oh, I don't want to have to talk about obedience. Why why did Jesus do that? Well, the answer is because in Jesus' economy, in his kingdom, in his school, obedience is grace. Obedience is liberation. Obedience is caring for one another. Obedience is flourishing. You see it? If we want to be a welcoming, worshiping, transformation church, we got to teach obedience to Jesus. Now, last question. Charlie, as we learned in this self-righteousness bit at the beginning of this sermon, we can, how are we supposed to, you said, no one is doing it right. (laughs) How are we supposed to teach? obedience to Jesus' commands when we can't even keep them ourselves? The answer is exactly. You feel that tension? That's tension that you're supposed to feel. That's tension that you're supposed to feel right before you hear the words of the Master say, come to me. Every one of you who is weary and heavy laden And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I am gentle. I am lowly at heart. You will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
fly to the feet of Jesus. Receive the yoke of his law, which is easy and light. Of course you're not doing it right. He's the only one who ever has. But when we come to him as our master, take me into your school. I'm looking to you. He reaches out to us and says, my brother, my sister, come to me. It's like what he said when he was talking to Nicodemus, the Pharisee. Nicodemus, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. This is how God loved the world. That the believing ones will not perish, but have eternal life. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the master. Receive his teaching and cling to him. Let him pour his grace out on you and let him save your soul. Let's pray.